0: This is Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that explores the intersection of mental health and life. I am licensed marriage and family therapist, Justin Lewis, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, I'll be talking with Dr. Stephanie Anderson of Murray State University. She and I are going to talk about mental health amongst people in the media. So we're going to cover um, first... What she would call trauma journalism. And then we're going to talk about what it's like for people who are journalists as they're viewed as the enemy. People that are really just truly trying to do their jobs to deliver the news for the most part are seen as villains in many cases. And so I'll talk with her about what kind of things they do in order to cope with that. But first, I want to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. At Compass Counseling, we provide therapy services for people of all ages, children, adults, and also for couples. We provide services both in person and via telehealth throughout the state of Kentucky. Our offices are located in Paducah, Owensboro, and Henderson. If you need to make an appointment towards your uh, change, uh, towards a path of change, then please contact us at 270, or you know what? Just go to our website, compasscounseling.com. Now is going to be my interview with Stephanie Anderson of Murray State University. Enjoy. What is it uh, that drew you to journalism?
1: When I was a, a little girl, I remember I grew up in in Louisville, Kentucky, and um, Jackie Hayes, who actually was Murray State's uh, alumna as well, uh, was the the main female anchor on Wave Three, the NBC affiliate in in Louisville. And my parents always had the news on, you know, just really curious what's going on, and so. Um, you know, I remember at a really young age watching the news, which probably wasn't good at that age, but, um, but it yeah. really fueled my, my interest in, in going into to journalism. So, um, I, I wanted to be on camera until I realized that I didn't really want to be on camera. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I got the degree um, and went the producing route.
0: Well, it seems like it might be just like anything else where kids initially uh, coming out of high school say they want to major in something that they've actually seen. Mm-hmm. Journalism the same way. like You get into it and it's like all we see is consumers, basically, is the people on TV. Right. So, of course, why wouldn't you want to be the person on TV? But Exactly. once you got into it, you saw there's more to it than just standing in front of the camera and reading okay. the teleprompter. Yes. There's more to the person on TV than that. Yes. <laughs> nice so, okay. Um, got into producing, and then uh, where did you do most of your production work?
1: I, I worked at WPSD in Paducah um, my junior and senior year of college as a part-time producer. And in that time, I started as a Saturday morning show producer doing um, – that, that show and quickly moved on to doing pretty much all of the other ones. My senior year, I was doing the midday show um, in addition to my studies. And um, after that, I, I took a job in Albuquerque, New Mexico, after graduation at KOB TV, which is the NBC affiliate in Albuquerque. Um, they are a, a top 50 market. So in the television world, um, it, was a, it was a big uh, a big position. Sure. Um, worked at, at KLB in Albuquerque. I had never been to Albuquerque, um, never been to New Mexico. I flew out there to find an apartment. I accepted the job before I ever um, even went to New Mexico. I was so eager, you know, as soon as you get that diploma and, you know, you just think, Oh, I'm just going to go conquer the world. Of course. And, and, um, uh, I said, yeah, let's move to New Mexico. And, um, and it was such a great experience, obviously so different, uh, from here, mm-hmm. but I, I was a morning show producer at the NBC affiliate and the NBC affiliate, uh, also ran the Fox station, um, within the same, uh, the same building. So, I, I produced for Fox and for NBC, um, the for kob and casa and then before i left albuquerque i was an assignment editor um working the desk listen to scanners um things like that so it's so, uh,
0: so the assignment editor okay i don't know i guess i've probably seen this term in this in the credits before uh-huh. so you're listening to the police scanner you're watching for stories and then you're saying hey reporter go out and get this."
1: Exactly. That's okay. exactly what they do. So all of the producers, um, reporters, photographers, everyone's expected to, to bring in new stories throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the assignment editor, they are the ones who get all of the press releases. Um, when someone calls into the, the station, um, nine times out of 10, it's probably them answering the phone um, when it's in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Um, people call and... Uh, give you story ideas you talk to the assignment editor and then you know they're they're really the organizer of newsrooms and stories so they're they're gonna keep a running calendar as to what's going on um, with court cases to make sure that you know when um, a reporter needs to be in court Um, whenever there's breaking news they're listening to a couple different scanners they're calling dispatch figuring out what's going on should we send somebody? Should we not? So, it's a little bit different because um, it wasn't really writing, which is a lot of what producing is—is is, is writing. Um, so it was—it was fun for me to have kind of a different, different take on television news.
0: Right, and I'm—I'm I'm sure that's where you got a lot of your um, firsthand knowledge on some of the trauma. So, okay, uh, this seems like a good time to talk about <laughs> trauma journalism. Yeah. Tell me uh, what a definition, a working definition of trauma journalism is and why you decided to, to study that a little bit further.
1: Okay. Um, so I did not create this, um, this definition. This is, um, I did an interview with, um, and I can talk more about what the DART Center is here in a few minutes. Uh, the director at the time, uh, Bruce Shapiro, uh, I interviewed for my dissertation and I had seen a lot of different, um, definitions for trauma journalism and, in our conversation really came out of this, um, this definition that, that I've got. And this is the one that I kind of go by because this is what I agree and I couldn't write one that, um, that said it any better than this. So, um, Trauma journalism is defined Mm -hmm. as violence, conflict, or tragedy with a particular focus on the aftermath and long-term impact of events on individuals, families, and communities. So, to say that...
0: (laughs) So basically, it's one of those stories that you would read and and, and, uh, the person across the breakfast table from you, you would say...
1: Right. Listen to, this, say, listen to
0: this terrible story. <laughs> Basically, that's the, that's the way that we could easily condense that, right?
1: Exactly. Trauma journalism. I have a lot of students say, oh, that sounds really interesting. What is that? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my short definition is essentially journalists having to cover traumatic events. And a traumatic event can be anything from a car crash to 9-11, to the Marshall County High School shooting, Columbine. It could be covering the Iraq war. Anything that's traumatic, yep. it can be yep. traumatic for a community, an individual, uh, families, those who survive it. And ultimately, it can be traumatic for, for the journalist who has to cover it. Right. Um, and, and so when I was working on my dissertation, uh, My first idea, I didn't really have a solid plan. I was kind of going down some rabbit holes and an email came across and um, there was a dart center trauma journalism conference at the university of Missouri. And I thought that could be interesting. And I needed a conference to go to, to work on a, a, paper for one of my doctoral classes. So I thought, well, this was really interesting. I'll go to University of Missouri. And, um, and I was there and there was a father who his son had died in the um, Aurora, Colorado theater shooting. Um, and he spoke to us and, and told us his story. Mm-hmm. Um, he told it from the perspective of the victim's family, he lost his son, and his interaction with the media and how the media can really shape how the community looks at different events. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of triggered something in me that I wanted to explore as much as I possibly could on the topic. And, and that just began my, my interest in the subject And there wasn't, and there still isn't a ton out there um, of research on it. So, um, you know, any chance I can talk about it and make more people aware of trauma journalism, the better.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, as I think about it, most it almost seems like most journalism is trauma journalism. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, almost every... It's almost like only the the special interest or the personal you know interest stories are like noted that they are actually special interest or personal interest. It's almost like everything else it's it's pretty much trauma journalism
1: there there is a lot i would say it it could be traumatic i mean if you were to turn on the six o'clock news tonight um i wouldn't think, I mean, obviously covering COVID, um, that is, is certainly a traumatic event. We're losing sure. people every day. Right. Um, and in that, I can talk about that's a little bit different covering COVID versus, uh, say, Columbine. Um, Columbine and Virginia Tech, I, I have focused a lot of my research on. Okay. There's a lot of things that we did well and a lot of things that we didn't as an industry
0: yeah. um,
1: that really kind of set the stage for how journalists would cover traumatic events right. um, moving forward.
0: I went to Heath high school and I was there during that uh, mm-hmm. traumatic event. So, um, you know, it, it was weird having TV buses or vans outside of our front door for weeks, you know, as a ninth mm-hmm. grader, I'm like, don't they have the story yet? Like what's, what are they expecting <laughs> now? <laughs> <Right. clears throat> and so I guess, you know, there's part of that, And I read your paper that you just had published about trauma journalism and some of the ethical questions that are raised with that. And one of them has got to be as a journalist, like, is there a threshold where I'm not reporting this and I'm exploiting this person?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think as, as journalists, we have to, we have to look at why we're doing the story. And one thing that I teach my, Um, students in trauma journalism course is go back to the society for professional journalists code of ethics and one of those is to minimize harm Mm -hmm. so if a a student is wanting to go cover a story so my students we covered the marsh cutting shooting we were on scene that day we you know covered it for weeks and months and um, afterwards and the students would ask, well, should we do a story on this? And my first question is always, are we going to do more harm than good mm-hmm. in telling the story? Our job as journalists are to be storytellers. Mm-hmm. It is not to ensue panic. It is not to sensationalize mm-hmm. a story. Our job is to, to tell the story as it is it 's not our story it 's the story of the people who we are interviewing right. um, and and there 's a, a a, little bit of the the ethics um, that come into play with that the moral compass um, and that was a, a lot of what that that paper um, that my colleague and I, Dr. Brian Burke, recently mm-hmm. published. He had done a, a lot on moral development theory and mm-hmm. We looked at how you can integrate moral development theory, which is basically just saying that um, moral development continues. It's a process. It's not something that just you're moral now that you've hit eighteen.
0: Right? Hardly.
1: Right. Uh, <laughs> so you know, if we're we're teaching uh, collegiate journalists how to go out and cover traumatic events with sensitivity and empathy, um, and using those ethical um, guidelines from places like the SBJ, then hopefully we can do this when they're still developing that moral compass. Um, And then when they get into their professional career, hopefully they're better journalists for it.
0: Sounds like a good approach. I heard (laughs) once, uh, a. where did I hear it? It must have been a, uh, maybe it was NPR. One of their journalists said uh, that his, he saw his job as to inform, not to inflame. I thought that was Absolutely. a really, really good way to say that. Um, journalists are ultimately about serving the public, mm-hmm. right? It's a service mm-hmm. for us to be able to know what's going on um, right. <clears throat> with people in power and with local events. And um, it's so interesting that, and I guess, you know what? I'm going to wait on that for a minute. Okay. I've got Some questions on that, but I want to come back to this yeah. uh, trauma journalism. So we know what it is. What kind of things may be in place that you teach your students or that you've done yourself uh, in order to uh, prepare for those sort of things when you're, you know, you're driving to a high school where people have been shot or, you know, you don't have a lot of time to do some meditation. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're on the move right? Uh, or what kind of things maybe happens afterwards or they're specific techniques or ways that you talk to your students about that?
1: I do. When I started my research, I really kind of found there's, there's two areas to trauma journalism. The first is how to cover traumatic events. So mm-hmm. teaching the, the students how to go up and interview someone whose child was just killed, um, you know, how to, to, be sympathetic, empathetic, mm-hmm. um, to be human. That's, that's always my biggest thing with, with my students. Be human. You're a human before you're a journalist. Right, yeah. Um, that story is not going to be life or death for you. Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to create more drama um, or uh, more trauma for mm-hmm. those who are involved? But then there's the other avenue of it. How do journalists cope with traumatic events? Exactly. If, you know, and it's it's not something that I had ever really thought about, honestly, in all of my studies until I started working on my dissertation and went to this conference. And there's, um, there's research out there from the DART Center who um, is at uh, Columbia University. They really, it's the DART Center for Trauma and Journalism. They're also in Asia. Um, and... Europe, I think, um, but it's a, essentially a, a huge resource, dartcenter.org, um, for journalists and educators to prepare them for anything dealing with trauma as it relates to their job. So trying to figure out how journalists can process mentally. Um, research from the Dart center shows 80 to a hundred percent of journalists, um, have or will cover some sort of traumatic event and, um, they don't all end in, in PTSD. The, the actual numbers, um, of, of people who are clinically diagnosed with PTSD, um, who are journalists, those, those are a little lower. I've seen anywhere from four to 13, 19% of journalists um, in the U S but they, there's a lot of, as you know, I mean, this is, this is <laughs> passion. <laughs>
0: <Right. laughs> um,
1: you know, there's a lot of other things that, that come along with that. Um, and a lot of other stressors. Um, so I wanted to kind of look at how can we, how can we prepare them to cover this? If I have a student who just graduated, and they went to WPSD and their first day on the job was the day of the Marshall County School shooting. And they were sent out there. What <laughs> would they need to know? How would they, aside from running back to the newsroom and saying, I I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's career, I can't do this. Right. Um, but just kind of prepare them for that. So, sure. um, you know, I, I look at, look at it as the, the two different things, the, the covering traumatic events and, and how do journalists cope. And as far as the, the coping, you know, looking for those warning signs, substance abuse among journalists is really high. Um, I think until here within the last probably decade, maybe it really was not something that journalists talked about. We were taught as as collegiate journalists, that we are supposed to go cover a story, we come back, we're done with that story, and we move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not supposed to be emotional mm-hmm. on on camera. We aren't supposed to break down. We're supposed to be this um, this the shield of emotion, uh, and you can't be human and and not be emotional.
0: Yeah, if even Walter Cronkite broke down that once, right? Exactly. JFK, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he can break, can, I mean, can't? Can yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think you know, knowing the the warning signs, you know, if they're irritable at work, if they're not wanting to go to work, uh, troubles at home. You know, I, I've had a lot of journalists uh, who have ended um, marriages because of you know the the stress they take all of it home with them you know they didn't offer uh back when i worked in television no one really offered uh to counselors
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in the newsroom and if they did it was oh there's a counselor if you can go see them but okay so we need to get back to the story <laughs> and
0: right. and move
1: on and um you know and looking back at it i thought how in the world are people going to stay in this profession and be mentally okay Mm -hmm. later in life? And, um, I think we're getting better as an industry in allowing us to be open, be emotional, be human Mm. and to ask for help. Um, Mm. but we're certainly not anywhere where we need to be.
0: Well, I think journalists are probably in a, in a in a big boat. As far as professions who aren't willing to always stop and take care of themselves, right. uh, but I do think there's progress uh, happening in that. Uh,
1: I agree. Where I,
0: agree. I said I think people are much more willing to embrace the fact that taking care of your mental health doesn't have to happen after you've, um, you know, hit the hit the rock bottom. So, um,
1: exactly.
0: I think that more we try to preach that. You know, we all have mental health. Um, mm-hmm. Taking care of it's real important. Um, and so I think providing that opportunity was like one step. Trauma counselors that show up is one step, but I think right. people really make in habits and routines of doing things for their mental health, whether that is having a regular counselor, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. I have slightly biased opinion in this, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> I think all those things uh, are good for anybody. And I can see particularly how journalists could, because um, you don't get, they, they in a way supposedly get closure on this because it's like, okay, well, uh, click story, story over into the yeah. editor or whatever. But that short period of time that you have with, with that doesn't give you a full sense of closure. And so I can imagine that being real difficult if you're so emotionally invested for such a short period of time, then you just have to pull out. So.
1: Well, and it's difficult when, you know, take Columbine or, Marshall County uh, shooting. If you are from this area, or if you've just worked in this area for the last five, eight years, you've got those relationships, you formed those bonds. Um, you probably knew someone who was affected, and
0: sure.
1: it, it. You know, when I studied Columbine, you know the the national media swarmed in, mm-hmm. right, and they set up these huge makeshift type, um, sets and, you know, Katie Kirk's riding around in a limo, um, (laughs) and um, you know, and, and all of these, these flashy things because they're the major networks. Mm -hmm. Well, they stayed for a little bit, but once they're gone, it's the local journalists who are the community journalists, I say, Mm -hmm. who are the ones that are, are going to have to cover this story day in and day out mm-hmm. and one of the, uh, the documentaries that I just absolutely love if you haven't watched it you certainly should sometime it's on YouTube it's called Co- Covering Columbine and they go and look at what it was like to be a journalist during the Columbine massacre mm-hmm. and they not only talk about you know, they have a, a picture of um, an aerial view, and there's a a student um, who died laying on the the sidewalk. The journalists at the time had to decide: do we print that or do we not? Mm-hmm. Do we put that on front page? Do we put that inside? Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the kind of conversations that they had, and I think those conversations are still conversations happening in the newsroom today what wasn't really talked about too much back then was the mental health of the journalist and i mean there were journalists i think it's covering columbine um or maybe one of the articles about it who said that was the story that they covered every day for an entire year and if you think about that if you had to go in in eight ten hours journalists we don't Work nine to five, obviously, um, but all you're doing is reliving this horrible tragedy day in, day out, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to wear on you, and and I think the the more that we can talk about it at the collegiate level, hopefully we can we can avoid some of the the burnout and the PTSD and the issues that we've seen from from some journalists throughout the years
0: sure yeah I mean it's just like anything the more you're trained and prepared for it the better off you're going to be when you get in the situation exactly so yeah I think that's a
1: yeah.
0: a great bit of that okay I'm going to shift gears slightly here okay um, so journalism journalists in general the media We'll start calling you the media because the media are the bad guys What's it like to be, does it like hit you as a a member of society to, to hear the media does this, the media does this. Does it kind of feel like you're the, you know, like people are always like looking, seeing you as the bad guy in a way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, especially now with social media, Uh I have, you know, friends that will say, especially when it comes to COVID-19 and, Um, since it's become so political and, uh, you know, do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Does this work? Does that work? Right. And, and everybody has an opinion regardless of what your opinion is when it comes to COVID-19, everyone has an opinion. And a lot of times I see whether it's posts or memes or something where people are talking about the media has blown this out of proportion the media is to blame for, for this or the media is to Mm -hmm. blame for, um, things with the presidential election. Um, you know, and a lot of times I used to, to comment. Um, and, and now for me personally, me mentally, um, it's best for me not to, um, I know that what we do is important. And, um, right now I half of my job is, is a professor. To teach, But the other half, I am the advisor of the Murray State News. So um, the student media at Murray State. And um, so with that regard, you know, I, I still feel very much um, in the news. Um, sure. No, I'm, I'm not on a TV station or um, a community newspaper anymore. But um, so, yeah, we, we definitely take it personal. But at the same time, you know, I, I think about, what if we weren't here? What if we weren't doing our job? How would people know where to go uh, get a COVID test? How would they know how bad it's spreading in their community? How would they know that they shouldn't go to Walmart because there was a, a shooting 30 minutes ago in the person still? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, how are they, how would the people in power try to, right. you know, what would keep them from doing certain things if no one was exactly. going to cover their
1: exactly. uh, behavior? Um, yeah.
0: So yeah. Um, here's another uh, thing that I I recently made this observation. I was talking with someone and they were uh, explaining to me their media consumption habits. And mm-hmm. they said that they um, tune in and make sure they always get both sides. Uh, it struck me but that's not the way it's set up. <laughs> like there's no like left side, right side or not. This is not, the, you're the instructor. Tell me if I'm wrong here. I did take high school journalism two years <laughs> though. So no, three years. So I, I'm down with this. Okay. Yeah. I was the official photographer. So anyways, yeah. um, there's not like a both sides idea here. There's no like, okay, well it's important to get, maybe it is now, but it's like, it's not, uh, okay. You make sure you cover all your bases on the reports because it's supposed to be, here's the news report. Now you have your like editorials mm-hmm. <laughs> and there, you, there's a space where you might want to take observation to multiple points of view, but the way that, uh, many people say it, and it just struck me when I was having this one conversation recently, but uh, I hear it all the time. I, tr- I try to, to pay attention to both sides. And so that made me think, I'm going to ask a journalist about this. Here you are sitting in front of me. What are, what are your thoughts about the whole both sides kind of?
1: In, in most stories, there's, there's all sides. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if, if my students are covering a story about a professor versus the university, well, there's two sides to that story. Yeah. Um, talk to that professor, talk to president Jackson. Sure. Um,
0: the sides that I'm thinking of is like the right and the left,
1: right? Is this Uh, coming
0: from the right or is this coming from the left? It was kind of the idea that this person was talking about,
1: you know, I, I think I, you know, I I don't know. (laughs) I know that to be honest, um, you know, I think the way that we teach our students that there really there's not.
0: It's here's a news is. report, right? And here's an editorial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a. Be sure and check this news source for the left side, and be sure right. and check this news source for the right side, so you yeah. can cover all your bases. Maybe right. that's the way you sh- you should do it nowadays. I don't know, but it just but sounded weird to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's not. Um, I really tried to teach my students to to stick to the facts and, and then see where it takes you from there. And, and unfortunately, when you get to the national media, you do end up with the left and the right um, a little too much sometimes.
0: That's where the free market does not serve us well. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems to me, that's my assessment. I don't know. Trying to sell ads. You're going to sell to an audience. That's how it goes. I think. So also, uh, I guess kind of along those same lines, the, the public trust uh, that seems to be not present with the media. It's like people look at it and think, well, they're trying to trick me or they're, mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel that too as a person who's. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Um I think the internet has done wonderful things for journalism. Um, Social media has really opened the door um, to a lot of opportunities for us, for us to be able to communicate um, on a second by second basis with our audiences. But at the same time, it's also created a lot of, a a lot of problems. Um, You know, a lot of people who, aren't in the media or haven't really dealt with members of the media, um, you know, kind of seem to categorize us into Mm. this, this one Avenue that I don't really think is, is always just, but what the answer is, I don't know. know, (laughs) We we didn't. That's my next
0: question. I was going to see if you had the solution.
1: um, I think if I had the answer, I'd make a little more money.
0: You would have given it somewhere other than Mapping Healthy Minds, huh? Okay. <laughs> I, thought I, was gonna, I thought it was going to be a breaking story, breaking scoop. How to solve a right. problem with public trust in the media.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it has to go back to the basics. You know, when people ask us about our journalism program at Murray State, they're, you know, what technology are you using or what um, mobile apps do you use um, all of that's ever-changing the foundational principles of journalism aren't gonna change um you know you've got to do your research um you've got to be ethical you've got to make sure that you've got the facts um you have to learn how to write and essentially journalists we're storytellers we hopefully are telling a truthful story we're telling the story of those in our community, not our story. Um, our opinion really shouldn't get into our story. Mm -hmm. Now we know a lot with the media that does happen, but Mm -hmm. we need to, I think if we can, can make sure that our collegiate journalists have that good foundation, then whatever app they use or, um, whatever new technology comes out um, still tell the story based on the foundational principles of journalism. And, you know, I'm, my thought process is as an educator, I can't necessarily fix what's out there with the public in the media right now, but I can bring up this next generation of journalists mm. who are not to say that the current, Professionals, um, by any means, are are necessarily doing something wrong. Um, but if I can hone in with them that you've got to you've got to know how to write, you have to do your research, you have to be ethical, um, then then maybe whatever the new app and technology is that's five years down the road, um, they're good storytellers because they have those foundational principles. And you know, I, I just hope that. Maybe um, we'll see a shift in the public trust mm-hmm. of of the media. I think right now our country has so many issues as a society that that's going to be really challenging um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: until we as a society, I think, get back to um, to more of a, a trust. I think there's a it's not just public trust of media. I think it's just public trust in general. Um, yeah. Healthcare professionals, politicians—you know—so I, I think it's a a much larger problem than just journalists.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's that's true. Um, we very much uh, are in this tribalist uh, state mm-hmm. in our society, um, us versus them, and there's zero trust that can be had for someone who believes something different than we do. And uh, so it sounds like. As a local, what do say, community journalist? There's some frustration that you have on the national level as well, absolutely, um, for how that functions. And yeah. you know, I've heard things like the 24-hour news cycle is one of the things that really kind of killed journalism. Mm-hmm. What uh, for the uh, consumers of news? What would be your suggestion on the best way to do that? Because our option—I mean, we have the option of looking at news twenty-four-seven if we wanted to, literally. But I don't think that's healthy. So, what would you suggest would be a good way for someone to consume media at this time?
1: I think to to look at a variety of of media sources. Mm-hmm. Look at um, you know what? Who are the journalists? What? How are they? Um, how are they portraying uh, the story? You know, are they inserting their opinion? Uh, Journalists, I don't think should ever put their opinion in the story. We're telling someone else's story. We're not telling ours. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know in times of tragedy, we see a lot of analysis, especially on the network, (laughs) but um, that's not our job. Our job is to be a storyteller. So, you know, look at the, the journalist and how they are portraying the story If um, you know, go do your own research. Don't just take, you know, the local TV station or the local newspaper, um, their word for it. Go, go do the research yourself. You know, that's where the internet has become a, an incredible tool that mm-hmm. all of us have at our disposal. Um, you know, consuming too much media, uh, is obviously not healthy. Um, you know, take a break from social media, and um, but make sure that that you look at um, the media sources that that you're looking at. You know, are you um, are you looking at sources who have done their research? They have the medical professionals or. Um, the scientists, whatever the story is, um, in there, the experts, if you will, uh, or are you looking at a lot more, um, opinion, commentary, editorial type, type of of work, you know, are they inserting their opinion in a creative way because as writers we're good journalists or should be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and to, to turn the TV off sometimes, (laughs) you know, close that app, uh, just try to be as um, disconnected sometimes as well.
0: Yeah, I've noticed um, what might be an upcoming problem, and that is most people get, I would suspect, get their news off the computer, off mm-hmm. the internet, even mm-hmm. possibly even through their social media feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these bigger, more reliable newspapers. Um, they're trying to stay afloat, so they're going to charge money for subscriptions, which is fine. I'm not saying that's bad. Some of the less reliable sources are going to get their money from advertisements only and pop-ups and all these kind of things, and they're going to be free. Right. People are going to read things that are free more than they're going to pay a subscription to read. Washington Post, New York Times, something like that, and so some of those sources that maybe be question marks, like the ones you were talking about, they don't don't have the citations. Are going to be the ones that are more readily available than the more um, kind of uh, trusted sources. So that's that's something that I've thought about lately that could be a problem. Personally, uh, I guess it's probably been two years ago now, but. I got into uh, the habit of reading the newspaper like old school piece of paper newspaper. And I noticed that as I was reading it, uh, it was a much more um, peaceful way of consuming news than what I had been doing primarily, which was um, getting news through my social media feed, you know, subscribing to these sources. And then I'll see an article, I'll click on the article. The reason why I was so much nicer reading the piece of paper was because there were no, there's was no comment section. <laughs> there were no likes, angry faces, crying faces. None yeah. of that. It was, I was reading it for myself without thinking about what anybody else was saying about it. And something about that was just so mentally uh, freeing just because, I mean, even if I didn't look at the comments, just seeing those little emojis and seeing right. that created a, this piece of um, anxiety and almost animosity in the way of oh, I know what person over there is saying about mm-hmm. this article I can only imagine why there's 178 comments already about this right. so it's like I don't know if getting into that place where it's so easy to banter about the news mm-hmm. part of create creates part of the problem too I don't know I agree I agree I'm really asking a question as much as I'm just thinking out loud and pondering but uh anyways so anyways well thank you so much for joining me i I think pretty much covered the what i wanted to cover there um i got a i got a lead that i got a tip that you would be a good interview so i followed (laughs) my lead and uh yeah this was so this was perfect for the podcast trauma journey Trying to to figure out what that looks like for journalists and give their point of view on how
1: yeah, mental yeah.
0: health is impacted by um, covering the traumatic events, but then you know also the being public enemy number one sucks. <laughs> 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 I mean, <clears throat> I hate to say it that way. Yeah. That's kind of an extreme, but you know, still at the same time, it's like yeah. If someone says to the media, it's it's rarely in a positive light unfortunately because the media serves us and is intended to serve us and inform us but that's all i got thank you so much for joining me i'll uh, let you get to your weekend now this has been mapping healthy minds a podcast that explores the intersection of mental health and life for more episodes you can find the show on spotify or apple podcasts and we are also on social media sites Facebook and Instagram. Website for the show is mappinghealthyminds.com, which has access to all the episodes that we've recorded so far and a little bit more about the show. Thanks so much for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, give us a review or tell a friend. It's the best way for us to pass the word on to other people. Mapping Healthy Minds is brought to you by Compass Counseling and is produced and hosted by yours truly, Justin Lewis.